This is week two of our series, Renew Wonder. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys, you guys ready? Not counting today, there are 16 days left until Christmas. I'm going to give you the updates every week. Some of you just kind of freaked out a little bit. Those of us that are husbands slash dads were like, I've got 15 days <laughs> before I have to shop. <laughs> Right? How many of you um how many of you feel like when it comes to your Christmas preparations, everything is under control? Anybody? All right, so we've got we've got a few of you that are just like, I've got this. And you are just set, you are ready, you have the checklist, you know the things, everything is ready to go. How many of you um have have a good deal of anxiety because it is nowhere near under control? All right, yes. Uh these are my people. <laughs> so, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about control, and we've been talking about the wonder and the joy of Christmas, and the wonder and the joy of following Christ, and how when we first start to follow Christ, there's all this wonder and this joy and this excitement, but then something can happen. And last week I shared how, for me and for a lot of us, that happens when we are unwilling to be overshadowed when we start to worry about how important we feel. And that worry about how important we are could shut down the wonder and the joy of following Christ, of being in family, of being with each other. So this week, of course, I had multiple moments, at least three, maybe four or five, where I got a little heated or upset about a situation, and I'm like, and then I realized I'm being overshadowed in this moment, and that's why... I am so upset. And I stopped. And I just would laugh. I would go immediately from, this is so wrong, I'm being treated unfairly, to, oh my goodness, exactly what I talked about on Sunday. And I would just kind of laugh and chuckle and say, okay, God, do your thing. It's going to be okay. And I hope you had those moments this week where you caught yourself being overshadowed, and instead of responding negatively, you instead gave it to Christ. So, this week we're going to talk about control because control is important control is important and we all need to feel agency we all need to have to feel like we have some control in our lives if you remember hope is the ability to set goals the ability to see multiple paths forward when something doesn't work out we can switch gears change to another path and when that one doesn't work out we feel like we can find another path and it's also the feeling the real feeling that we can actually accomplish our goals and so if you don't have any control in your life, if you're, um, if you're in shackles, you know, if you're enslaved or something, and you have no control, then you can't have hope. You can't have hope. But on the other hand, the, if you have too much hope, because control is a balanced thing, too much need for control, and we lose hope. Because then, when things don't go the way that we expected them to, in our perfect vision of control, and we freak out. It didn't go how I expected it to go. I don't, I'm not in control. Oh, and then we panic and we freak out. So too little control, no control at all, and hope is really difficult. But too much expectation of control, too much demand for control, and you can't have hope either. So how do we find balance? How do we find balance in this? We're going to look at Zechariah's story today from Luke chapter 1. Eve um, read it with us this morning. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse number 5. 
There was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Herod, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So righteous before God and blameless. That means that nobody could point out something in their life and see, ah, this is where you're doing wrong. Blameless is a really important word for us as Christians. We should all want to be blameless before God for each other. Verse 7, And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both. And they both were now well stricken in years. They were doing everything right that they could. They were spiritual Olympians. And they were getting up in years. And they did not have kids. Zacharias is a priest doing his job. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office, what is job? Before God in the order of his course, and according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense. So they would take turns, and it was his turn to go in, burn the incense as part of the ceremony in the temple. So he goes in to burn the incense in the temple. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So they're all outside. And there appeared unto him an angel standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, this is the first chronological appearance of angels in the New Testament. It's the first time an angel appears to someone in the New Testament. I know we read Mary last week, but that actually happens after this. So, Zacharias, so it's not common. Not only this happens all the time and everybody's talking about, oh yeah, I saw an angel last week. Or no, last Tuesday an angel showed up. We had lunch. No, this just did not happen regularly in the New Testament. This was the first occurrence of it. So he sees this angel standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was afraid. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him, which is exactly the same response that Mary had. Mary was troubled and afraid. And the angel says unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, which is really important because when God speaks to us, he tells us not to fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Which is why I don't scream and shout at you guys and try to make you feel scared you to do what God wants you to do because I don't think it works so fear not Zacharias plus I don't like to scream for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name John this is great news right an angel shows up you're gonna have a son and his name is gonna be John this is great news they've been wanting a kid they could not have a kid this was probably a broken almost dead dream them so what does Zacharias say but wait there's more and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth for he shall be great sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb which was really special because at this time before Christ died on the cross having the Holy Spirit fill you was a unique thing. It was a special thing. The Holy Spirit would come upon people for a certain season of ministry, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. That person would come upon someone, and then it would leave. And after Christ died on the cross, when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us. It makes our body its temple. 
and the Holy Spirit is with us all the time, which is really cool. So, John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. This is to fulfill the prophecy that Elias would come back before the Messiah did. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is great news. Not only are you going to have a son, Zacharias, his name is going to be John, and he is going to be a great prophet that's going to prepare for the Messiah to come. So Zacharias responds, and Zacharias said unto the angel, What? How is this possible? Whereby shall I know this? How am I going to know this is real? Like, what, what are you talking about? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. How many of you are married to a woman that is well, don't you dare raise your hand. <laughs> okay, you're going to get us both shot. <laughs> Ladies, how many of you are married to a man that's well stricken in years? You can raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, right? How dare he say this? And it's recorded for all of eternity. So I wonder if Elizabeth got to read this later on. He never lived this down, I bet. It's like, look, I'm old and my wife just doesn't have the right plumbing anymore. It's not possible. What are you talking about? How is this going to work? How is this going to work? Maybe you don't, angels don't have babies. Maybe you don't know how this works, but no. She can't have kids, man. So how is this going to work? How do I know this is really going to happen? And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. I think part of this question was, what is the sign that I know this is real? And Gabriel's like, I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel from God. <laughs> like, there's your sign. Here's your sign. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm literally an angel in front of you standing. So, uh, and he goes on. And I'm sent to speak unto thee and show thee these glad tidings. God sent you an angel. What more do you want? And behold, so since you want a sign, since you want to know for sure, behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak. Now, this is old English. Okay, this is KJV. So what it meant is that he would not be able to speak. His mouth would be shut. He would not be able to make sound with his vocal cords. He would just open his mouth, but nothing would come out. He wouldn't be able to talk. You have to write things and learn sign language. You shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You will not be able to speak. Now, notice the difference in Zacharias's response and Mary's response, right? When the angel told Mary, you're going to have a child, look what Mary says. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be? seeing I know not a man. They kind of seem like the same thing, don't they? Zechariah says, how is this going to happen? And Mary says, how is this going to happen? So why didn't God shut up Mary? Why is He like, 
not like Zacharias. They both ask, how? She didn't have to go her whole pregnancy without talking. That would have been like torture on top of torture, right? Why does Zacharias get the smackdown, but Mary gets the explanation? The angel goes on, well, you know, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, and you're going to conceive, and you don't have to worry about it. Why does Mary get an explanation, but Zacharias is like, fine, you just won't be able to talk until the baby's born. Nine months, there you go. What is the difference? How is this fair? Does God not want us to be curious? Does God not want us to ask questions? Mary didn't get in trouble. Does God want us to not understand things? To not engage our brain? No. If we were to look at Zachariah's story alone, we could go to an extreme that says, never ask questions, never question God, never try to figure things out, just accept things the way you're told, and do what you're told, and do things the way they are. And I think that's really dangerous in religion. I think it is. That's an extreme, and it's dangerous. Because that's how we end up doing really silly things, because someone told us to do it. And we didn't look in the Bible for ourselves. We didn't investigate for ourselves what God actually says and why God would say this. Mary, if we look at just Mary's story, then we might say, well, don't be afraid to question and try to understand. So which one is it? I mean, they're in the same exact part of the Bible, the same exact chapter, just a few verses away. Mary was asking how with an attitude of submission. But Zacharias was asking how with an attitude of doubt and control. From the outside, they look very similar. But God knows what's in your heart and in my heart. Asking questions can be a form of control. If you're mom or dad, you know this, right? Asking questions can be a form of control. Asking questions is fantastic. It could be great to invite. When we ask questions properly, it's a way of inviting instruction. Teach me. Tell me. Explain to me how this works so that I know better. But asking questions can also be a way of shutting people down, of controlling them, of trying to lead them and influence them to do what you want them to do. I ask questions all the time. And the attitude behind my questions are extremely important. Right? When we ask how, why, or what about a situation or, or to someone that we love or care about, it could be, I don't want to reveal, or I want to reveal to you why this won't work. So maybe you start asking leading questions. Oh yeah, well explain to me how is this going to work. So you're going to go hang out with your friends, right? And you don't know these people, and he's going to murder you. Is that what you're saying, right? That's, your parents have had that conversation, right? Uh, that's, that's the questions we get. You see what I mean? It's like leading questions. Oh, and how are you going to pay for that? And how's that going to work? And how's that? And the questions aren't to encourage. The other side would be, I want to know so that I can help. What is your idea? What is your plan? What are you hoping will happen that maybe I can resource you so I can help you out so that I can be a part of this? We could ask questions to discourage people, right? To point out just how dumb an idea this is. Right? Just how dumb an idea. So you're going to hold the bottle rocket in your hand and then light it. And then 
go to the ER? Do we go to the ER before or should we just do it at the ER, like outside? You know, <laughs> that's kind of funny, but the whole point of those kind of questions are not, are not to actually get an answer. It's to discourage the behavior. Or we could ask questions because I want to know how to encourage you. So what's your plan? You want to do this? You want to get a job? You want to, you want to learn how to do this? Okay. Well, I've got this book you can borrow. I've got this thing. Or, I know somebody who actually does that. You want to go job shadow though? So we could ask questions to learn how to encourage someone. Or maybe I want to change your mind. I want to change your mind. I don't like what you're about to do. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes, it's going to be harder on my life because you want to do this thing. So I'm going to ask you questions to try to change your mind versus I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. What kind of questions do you ask the people around you? Which side are you on? Do you encourage or discourage other? Do you signal belief and encouragement? Or do you signal doubt and discouragement when you ask questions? What if you know their idea is really, really dumb and won't work? What do you do then? How many of you have a friend who has dumb ideas? All right, yes. <laughs> And how many of you just, it's like everything within you not to just scream at them and shake them because you really don't want them to make that dumb, yeah, yeah, right? What do we do? How do we, how do we handle that without becoming, you know, the red side of things where we're doing all this control stuff? How do we do that? Well, if it's not immoral and if it's not really dangerous, then why discourage them? If it's not immoral and it's not really dangerous then why discourage them now if it's immoral and it's dangerous well then maybe if they want our advice here's the thing when people want advice they'll generally ask for it i know it's weird <laughs> it's a shocking thing they'll like actually come up to you and say so this is what's going on what do you think i should do like they can actually say those words together in a sentence and then that means i want to know your opinion and if they don't say those words together in a sentence, guess what? They probably don't want your opinion. I know, it's shocking. And so few people ask for our opinion. And we have so many opinions to share. It's frustrating. Right? But if it's immoral, and it's dangerous, and they ask for your opinion, I mean, if it's really dangerous, I might give them my opinion whether they want it or not. You know? going to hurt somebody or hurt themselves but if it's not immoral and it's not dangerous it's just stupid why stop them doing stupid things is a fantastic way to learn right that's how we all learned that it was stupid because you're thinking back to your teen well no i wouldn't do that man that was so i remember <laughs> yeah no and you know that lesson, and you didn't have to sit at a 45-minute lecture and be taught, this is, let me explain to you the physics of why going down this hill and this sled or this car with no brakes isn't going to work. No, nobody needed to explain. You did it once. You didn't die. You learned a valuable lesson. Failure is part of learning. Why not encourage them to, hey, let's try it out. Let's experiment. Why not go with them so the experiment is safe? Let's see what happens. The best coaches and the best teachers allow students, they create space that allows enough safety for students 
to learn by making mistakes. Oh, you messed that up. You cut too much off of that, or that didn't work out, or we tried that. Why, do, why didn't it work? And in that process, they learn why it didn't work. Because the aha moment when I figure something out is way more valuable than 100 hours of instruction. Because you never forget when you go, oh, that's how it works. Oh my goodness, oh, look what I figured out. <laughs> and the teachers and the parents and everyone around you are like, yeah, we've been trying to tell you that for like two years. But because they figured it out, because they had the aha moment, it's a valuable lesson to stick with them. It's worth way more than 100 hours of instruction. So why don't we all do this? Why don't we all lean into exploration and try stuff more often? Well, what if I get excited and it doesn't work? What if I get excited about something, about God healing me, or about God doing something in my life? What if I get excited about small group and then I have interpersonal conflict? What if I get excited about serving and then it's difficult and there's a problem? What if I get excited about hanging out with someone or taking care of someone or doing something good or starting a business or trying something new and it doesn't work out? I don't know if I can handle that. I'll look stupid. Everybody will know that I'm a failure and people will know that I did something stupid. I don't want to look stupid. And sometimes we're controlling others just because we're trying to control our own fear. Sometimes we're saying no to other people, our kids, our friends, or family members, because we're just trying to control our own fear. We know Zacharias was afraid. Fear fell upon him. Mary was afraid too. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it, unto her, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary was afraid, but she still went with it. She still did it. How do we do this like Mary, where even though we're afraid, we do what God tells us to do. When we are anxious about control, when we are worried about looking dumb, when everything inside of us wants to ask controlling questions, how do we deal with that? What do we do as Christians? So I'm going to share with you a spiritual discipline. If you struggle with control in your life, if you're identifying yourself and saying, okay, yeah, I think I ask controlling questions. I think I let fear make me shut other people around me down, then how do you as a Christian get better at that? What is the practice and exercise? Well, simple. God told us exactly in the chapter. We do exactly what Zacharias did. We do exactly what Zacharias did. People waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. What's he doing? He's like trying to talk. He can't talk. Verse 22 and when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Zacharias, we just do what Zacharias did. We just keep our mouth shut. That simple. It's not really simple. <laughs> it's that. That's the discipline. There's a spiritual discipline called silence. And silence is like fasting. Fasting is when you don't eat food because you want to trust God to take care of you physically. So, 
when I feel hungry, I'm going to remember to trust God and pray to Him. Because I'm not going to starve. I'm not going to die because I'm not eating. Especially those of us in America, we could go several meals, several days, several weeks probably without food and be fine. You still need water, but you could go a long time without food and probably be okay. Well, silence is the same thing. It's fasting from speaking. Keeping your mouth shut and not saying anything. And trusting that God will control the situation around you rather than you taking control. That's hard. But it's, it's an exercise. It's like lifting weights. It's like stretching. So in these moments where you feel like you're losing control, or even in moments where you feel like you might be tempted to control, one of the things that you could do is to practice silence. You're going to go to family functions, you're going to go to dinners, and maybe you decide, I'm going to be quiet and let other people carry the conversation. I'm just going to practice silence. Not because I'm mad, because we can practice silence passive-aggressively. I'm not talking to anybody. No, there's nothing wrong. We can do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being present, nodding your head, being a part of things, not with the, the grumpy face, you know, being a part of things, but not speaking, not controlling the conversation, not jumping in and forcing your way and your opinion to carry the day. When fear is getting the best of you, Don't spread it around. When you catch yourself being discouraging, apologize. Apologize. I'm sorry. I am doing this. I'm doing that whole control thing. I'm sorry. If you will do that with people around you, you will save your relationships. If you don't, they'll just not come around anymore. And it won't be, and they'll never tell you probably because you ask controlling questions all the time and you're insufferable to be around. Like your kids aren't probably going to tell you that. I mean, maybe some of them will, you know, if they're as stubborn as you, but most of the time people won't tell you that. They'll just stop. Well, you know, we had something else come up. We couldn't make it. Sorry, you know, we're so busy. Yeah, we're just not going to tell you. If you can't endure people you love making silly decisions, then you'll just be left out of their life. A great illustration is multi-level marketing stuff. I hate multi-level marketing stuff like the Amway and all that stuff. People come to me. I'm a pastor. I got a big, like, 800 contacts in my phone, phone book. And so, they, of course, I'm a target. They want my contact list. And so they'll come and they'll sit down and they'll tell me about this amazing thing. And I do math. And it makes me mad because they're, they're drinking some Kool-Aid, you know, and they're not doing the math. And so um, I have to learn to keep my mouth shut because I've lost relationships because I can see mathematically you're making a poor business choice right now. And you're excited about this thing, and the math doesn't work. And I can show you the math doesn't work. But when I've done that and just shut people down, then I shut down relationships. You know what else works? They, well, thank you for this opportunity, but I don't think it's for me. And then they go away, and they do their thing, and they find out the math doesn't work. They lost some money, but they learn a valuable lesson. And I still have a relationship. How hard that is? Because <laughs> I like to be right. I want to be right. I want to. But 
could be right or you could have relationships. And it's not worth it to burn relationships. Sometimes people just don't want to know the truth. I'm not talking about multi-level marketing. But sometimes people don't want to know the truth. When that happens, you have to decide if it's more important to be right or to be in a relationship with that person. Do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? And if you limit yourself to only be in relationships with people that will always listen or take your advice, let me say that again, if you and I limit ourselves to only be in relationships where people will listen to us and take our advice, guess what? We won't even be in a relationship with us because you don't even take your own advice. Think about it. <laughs> so we can't limit ourselves to be only be in relationships where people take our great advice and listen to us. And so for the sake of the relationships, we need to learn to keep our mouths shut because silence is a spiritual discipline. Keeping our mouths shut to allow God to control the world rather than speaking up and taking control ourselves. Let's see how the story ends up. Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son, of course, just like the angel said, just like God said it would happen. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And her neighbors, her cousins, they all heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, which was the custom. And they called him Zacharias. They called the baby Zacharias. Now what had God said to name him? John, right? You're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. That's what Zacharias was told. But they call him Zacharias because it's the custom. And Elizabeth corrects them. No, 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 no. He's not going to be Zacharias. But of course, nobody listens to the woman. So they go to Zacharias and say, hey, you know, she says, no, Zacharias, what is it going to be? And so he asked for a writing utensil. They made signs to the father how they would call him. He asks for a writing utensil, a tablet. And he wrote saying his name is John. And they all went, oh, okay, I guess John it is. There's no John in your family, you sure? Yes, it's going to be John. And his mouth was immediately open. His mouth immediately was opened and he could speak again. He could speak because he was being obedient to God. Because he accepted the control of God in his life. And our voice is given to us to praise God and lift others up. Your voice is given to you to praise God and to lift up other people. I can't think of any Scripture, and maybe you, you know one, you could come to me after the service, but I cannot think of any Scripture in the Bible where it says, Thou shalt discourage one another. I can't think of any. Thou shalt discourage them from making that choice. No. Because we should encourage each other. We should teach each other. We should reprove. We should correct. But those are earned relationships. And in this time of Advent, preparing for the coming of Christ, where do you need to exercise silence? Silence is an act of surrender. It could be a way of signaling to God and others, I'm not the most important one here right now. I'm not the most important one here. And when you really want to speak up and tell someone exactly how dumb you think they are, exercise silence. Exercise silence. And allow God to control the situation. 
because he is more capable and he knows how to lead that person in a lesson they'll learn and allow us to maintain the relationship. I'm going to ask if we could bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we close. Today, I encourage you to think about silence, to practice silence as an act of trust. Well, maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you don't know God. This could be a great first step. Because learning is about experimenting. It's about trying things. And I would encourage you this Advent season to try God. The Bible says, try me. See if I'm real. So give him a chance. Give the things that Jesus says a chance. Practice them this week in your life. Exercise silence and see if that doesn't encourage and strengthen your relationships. Because God said that we should love him with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we follow Christ, it will transform us, transform our relationships. It's how we are forgiven. It's how we find grace, learn to live in grace, and walk in grace. We pray for you. Dear God, I pray this week that we would trust you. In these situations where we want to speak up, but we know that the thing we're going to say is not going to be received. If it's not going to be received, why would we say it? If it's not going to, to strengthen the relationship or encourage the person, why would we say it? God, help me in this. As I practice silence this week, as we all take moments and seasons of practicing silence this week, help us to encourage Help us to listen. Help us to hear anew what the ideas and the dreams and the hopes of those around us are so that we can be encouragers, so that we can empower them. And maybe their idea isn't, isn't fully fleshed and makes sense yet, but God, help us to, to encourage them to take a little step so they can learn and grow rather than just discouraging them and making them stay stuck. I pray that we would learn the lesson of Zacharias Learn when to be quiet without being forced into it. God, we trust you. We know you are good. Help us to be the people that honor you, what we say, and with what we don't say. In Jesus' name.